Hartsville, would you like to open the Hereford Times, our local newspaper, to page 92? Marvellous. There we are. <laughs> and who's that a picture of? <laughs> well, actually, in truth, it's a picture of Chrissy Pugh. Really? But he's in my field. It's not you. No, it's not me. Oh, I thought it was. I, did, I didn't recognise a combine harvester, I have to That's say. That's right, because mine was broken. Right. And as you might recall... I set about fixing it the day before Christmas Eve and herself wasn't very enthusiastic <laughs> about that idea. And so I engaged the services of my good friends and neighbours, the Pews, right. and Chris came and cut the sunflowers New Year's Day. Why Good. has it made the Hereford Times as a full-page colour feature? Bill? I think it's probably a slow news day, isn't it? No, it's because it's a world record. Ah, yes, the earliest sighting of a combine in 2009. Right. You can't sense. really get much yeah, into the news day, can There's not really a lot you could do with a combine harvester at that time mm. of year, This it? must be all part of the Save Farmer Phil campaign. Quite possibly. Here yeah. we are, here's another Save Farmer Phil campaign. There's a review from Sally Sharp on Farm Mix, Farmer Phil's Farm Mix. Right. I chose Wiggly Farm Mix as I like the idea of the ingredients being homegrown and cutting down on food miles. I've just come to the end of a six kilo bag. The birds have loved it and I'm very impressed that I'm not left with the usual half kilo of inedible dust that can be found at the bottom of other brands. Well done, Farmer Phil. Excellent. Stunning. Praise indeed. Any iTunes uh, reviews since uh, since the last request to give Phil a bit of moral support? Not a morsel. <laughs> <laughs> so he's off. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. We'll be doing this on um, Friday when Rachel's here in future. Yeah. Unfortunately, the uh, Safe Farmer Phil campaign has failed, so if you'd like to leave. Hey, <laughs> <Aye>, thank you. <laughs> on this week's show, we have a Ricardo special. If you go down to the woods today, you're in for a big surprise. It's, it's about time, it's overdue since I did a little feature. So I scrambled out the other night and went traipsing up the field in the snow, scrunching and blowing cold, misty air from my mouth as I, as I did so. And I got some nice little stuff. I saw some great stuff, actually. I can't wait for the I'm going owls. to do more of it, you know. I'm going to go out and I'm going to do more little sound features like that. You'd probably get arrested for fun. loitering, wouldn't you? <laughs> Is it, was it the owls? Oh, that was my intention. Unfortunately, yeah. the owls were, didn't want to play. <laughs> Too cold, uh, I think. Didn't play ball, and uh, I didn't hear a solitary owl. But I did see and hear a bunch of other stuff. There's some corking, icy pictures on the Facebook group. Absolute corkers. Crackers. Yeah. Michael's a... standard photos? Don't be ridiculous. <laughs> of course not. But they're very, very good. Right. <laughs> Michael's Silly old away. Richard. Um, <laughs> now then, what I want to know is I want us to try and explain the pesticide row, but keep holding hands. Well, the, with Europe, pesticide Yes, row. we want to know the pesticide row before we go out into the woods with Richard. Uh. Doing. So if I think this week, not trying to incite violence here again. <laughs> of course not. I think it, this week Farmer Phil puts the facts of the case out there, right? And then we'll have maybe our listeners let us know what they think. Okay. And you can obviously just. So well, can I ignore Phil's the comments facts today? Of the case. Yeah, and, just and then come back think. next week. 
<laughs> like, as uh, usual with the listener <laughs> yes how would that be how would that be well you can try okay. <laughs> over to farmer phil well basically what has happened is that the european parliament is trying to change the way that it assesses the risk of different chemicals that we use as agricultural pesticides and what they're doing is instead of basing that risk on their trials and experiments in the field and doing it on residue trials and the effect that the chemical at the concentration that we use it to kill whatever fungus or pest we do, instead of that they are using a paper-based risk system so that they are saying that if it's something called an endocrine disruptor, it doesn't matter how much or how little of it we use, they're going to ban it. Now, the degree to which they go down that route is a bit of a movable feast, but it's not based on any scientific or broad-based facts in terms of food production, crop production, and so on. And the argument really is that if you take away 25% of our pesticides, you will make quite large areas of ground uneconomic to farm at all, and you will cause the necessity, really, to import food from other countries where the rules are far less strict, so you're just exporting the problem. Why would you be doing that? Because surely they're banning it throughout Europe. Uh, They're banning it throughout Europe, but they're talking about importing food from outside Europe. So notably, for example, we import wheat from Russia, Ukraine, places like that. But wouldn't it be best to have best practice within Europe and then, you know, obviously educate everyone as to why these things have depleted and therefore changed the way that the world is. Then you come on to my opinion as to what they should do, and my opinion is that any chemicals which are damaging to the environment should be very closely looked at and probably got rid of. But the way to do it is to get money into research and development And because now any chemicals, agrochemicals that are produced has quite a strong environmental element to their licensing, if you like, that if you spend money on research and development, you can come up with chemicals which are effective to do the job that you want them to do and not damaging to the environment. If you do it the way they're doing it, you're going to cut off all research and development. No chemical company is going to invest in something that's going to be banned because it's hugely expensive to trial a chemical and then get the licences to market it, so that if there's a risk that some politician is just going to chop it off in its prime, they're not going to spend the money. Mm. And so we're, we end up with old chemicals... You know, without, without, uh, without wishing to, to disrupt your, your, your flow in, in, any, in any way, Phil, I think there's I a would few, nothing few, less from few, you, a few minor flaws in your argument. I think, for one thing, I, I don't imagine any chemical company would need or want or even attempt to trial a product that has been banned. But the banning of harmful chemical applicants would, um, surely that would predispose uh, a new movement to discover uh, applications that weren't harmful in any way. Absolutely, but because of the way that they're assessing the risk and because it's a bit of a woolly thing, it's a paper risk, Mm. so if a company comes up with a new piece of chemistry and the politician says, I'm not actually going to bother trying that out in the field... I'm just going to put a line through it, 
the company are going to say, well, stuff that for a game of marbles. But aren't they thinking of banning the pesticides that they're already conscious of doing substantial amounts of harm anyway? Yeah, what are they banning? Actually, the most important group of pesticides that they're going to, are going to end up in the firing line are a group of fungicides called triazoles, which are very important in wheat production. Right. And they are pretty benign things. You know, we've never had any problems with them in terms of the normal trialling residues and what have you in the field. They have very little effect. But you can damp off using worm... Um, leachate. Uh, worm... Cast leachate. Worm cast. Urine. What's it called? <laughs> worm tea. Worm tea. <laughs> that <laughs> may be true, but the practicalities of using it over a large field scale are difficult. And I don't actually know whether it'll have any effect on septoria, which is the disease which causes all the problems. It's one particular disease of wheat. There are a group of diseases, but septoria is the worst one. It's prevalent in uh, wettish climates, which ours would count as, and it is that, that is the problem. But, but organic farmers don't have a problem with that. They do. That is one of the main reasons that their yields are so much lower than a conventionally grown crop of wheat. Why are you worried? Because, as an individual farmer, if these chemicals are banned, everyone's on a level playing field, except importing wheat from Russia. Why are you worried about it? Why don't you think, oh, great, less chemicals are going into the environment, therefore I can now grow more naturally, so I'm pleased. That would be fair enough, except for the fact that because Britain is a much wetter climate than, say, the rest of Europe, septoria is more of a problem in Britain than it is, say, in Germany. Mm-hmm. So that by knocking us out, and it's essentially that the middle European countries that are taking us apart politically, mm-hmm. that we are then at a disadvantage. The other reason that I'm worried is that if you put this block in research and development in the chemical companies, which is what it'll do, it then takes 15 years to correct it. Because... What they're developing now could come to market in 15 years' time. It's a long time. That's how onerous the trials and testing to make sure that it's safe are. Mm. And that's why the very modern chemicals are the safest ones. We've proved already that local is more important than organic. That is, you know, statistics have proved that people prefer local to organic. So bearing in mind this potential ban, what would that mean to local wheat produced in the UK how much difference would it make and you're not allowed to exaggerate because otherwise your nose will grow <laughs> Pinocchio surely not <laughs> <laughs> the problem with that it is it can't is grow anymore <laughs> because the he has told a lot of lies <laughs> because the legislation is so woolly that the way that they've written it currently gives them carte blanche to draw the line where they feel like it, the politicians now, so that it's very difficult to say. You know, at one point, the Pesticide Safety Directorate, which is part of DEFRA, was suggesting that we could lose 85% of our current spectrum of agrochemicals, which would have been disastrous. It would easily have halved wheat yields in this country, and then if you start to cut off areas that become completely uneconomic to farm, that will reduce it further. Now, you're quite right. You're saying, as a farmer's point of view, then presumably the price of wheat will go up and we'll have just a jolly job. From my point of view, growing seed, it becomes difficult because I have trouble getting the quality of seed to pass the test so that if it's got all funguses and what have you growing on it, it's not marketable. And that's also true of 
feed wheat as well, that in a year like this year, I don't actually know what the facts are, but being an organic farmer with the harvest that we've just had probably wasn't a huge lot of fun because that's sort of weather all diseases flourish. But that 85% figure has been drastically reduced now and they're looking at a figure of more like 25% of the chemicals. What are you doing about it? Who's lobbying who? What's happening? Basically, the farming farmers and farming associated industries are lobbying their MEPs and have written to them and the vote is on the 12th of this month, the 12th of January, and we will find out at that point what exactly is going to happen. It's not going to happen immediately, mm-hmm. and again, the legislation is suitably woolly that if we put enough pressure on afterwards, they can go back on it. Mm-hmm. But my own view is, what the hell is the point <clears throat> of exporting environmental problems abroad, which will, currently on current intra- um, exchange rates make food more expensive anyway, the idea is to grow it at home and to grow it in the safest and best possible way. Mm-hmm. And so in my view, you know, I don't want chemicals to hurt the environment. You know, I don't like using slug bait. But if you ban slug bait, there will be large areas of the heavier land in this country that you just will never be able to establish a crop on unless you come up with a better Alternative, but the only way to come up with that alternative is to ban the thing because otherwise the energies into finding a replacement aren't going to be forthcoming, are they? And it's you know, the, the energies are already for, going on, Rich, because at the moment there are people looking and looking. And slug bait is a really good example because mm. everybody knows that it is a pretty uncompromising poison. Mm. But the difficulty is finding something that works. I've thought of an analogy. This is like banning cars, isn't it? Little bit. So if, if it's best to use public transport, mm. then, you know, the easiest option is to ban cars. But the thing is, how are we going to get about until we've got the public transport because there isn't any anyway? Also, I, suppose, I suppose the analogy there is that it, would, it affects people in different geographical situations differently. Because yeah, it, it would know, affect rural The rural people population much more. is... Uh, That's the biggest problem, is that the, in the, same the way differentials... The English rather than the... Yeah. Um, you know, the Spanish Germans. would be affected, the banning of certain... It's chemicals. also worth adding that if you applied the legislation that they're proposing across the board, yeah. you would ban cigarettes and there is, alcohol. There is something that occurs to me, Phil, because, you, you know, you are a bit of an old uh, stalwart, aren't you? You know, you, do, you, you dig your heels in and you really rebel against being dictated to. Don't uh, say apart, no because you know Apart from one individual which you're quite happy to be <laughs> Don't say no because your nose is just about <laughs> so, to grip. So, so you, are, you, do, you do tend, to, see, you do, you tend to, to dig your heels in a bit. Now, what, I, what my feeling is that your energies as a, a, an enterprising gentleman that, that you are would be best placed at developing a, a fungal suppressants like... You know, the growing on of leachate from uh, from distilled worm casts, for instance, which is quite which is quite feasible. You know, you've got the facilities here to do that. And also, why not look at getting the leachate from you know Bakashi manufacturing processes why because do that's you quite regard possible as well. The leachate from worm composting or Bakashi as anything different to a chemical. It is a chemical or a mixture of chemicals, and just because something comes in a plastic can and says that it's an agrochemical, they're all chemicals. And what you're forgetting is that a lot of modern chemicals are derived from plant-based oh, things for of obvious course. reasons, of because course. you want them to operate on a plant. Yeah. But you, I admit that I dig my heels in, and I don't like being dictated to, yeah. particularly by people who I don't regard as knowing what they're on about. Right. But conversely, your point of view, because something is produced in a muck heap or a worm bin 
or a, a Bakashi bin, yeah. it's a leachate and that's fine. If I talk to you about silage effluent, yeah. you will quite rightly say that's one of the worst potential contaminants of groundwater that there is. Yeah. All that is is leachate from silage, which is exactly the same as Bukashi leachate. So, It's not the same as Bukashi leachate, Of course is it? it is. It's the same... Same thing. You can't say that. No, of course it's not. It's not the so same. I'm surprised you come out with that sort of statement. Because it's not. How you can you, how can you possibly say it's the same thing? Of course you can differentiate between leachates. Of course you can. The constituents are utterly different. Is a completely natural. So you're saying. So so you're trying to market bokashi no. comparing it with silage. No, what I'm saying. Uh, well, I do compare it to silage because it's exactly the same process. But what I'm saying it's to the you same process to a degree. Is but that the allow the companies the, the microflora and fauna are different. Are different. Absolutely right. But so consequently, they're going to have different ways in which they can uh, address exactly fungal right. infestations. In the what field. I'm saying to you, Rich, is don't differentiate those chemicals and those microflora and fauna from what an agrochemical company would do. I might have big problems with some of the agrochemical companies. Well, there's only two left. We've gone over those before. But what I would say is that they have the resources to research and produce these things, and yeah. all you have to do is to put the right pressures on them. So now they have environmental pressures on them, and I believe that they count. But don't knacker their research and development, because they'll just stop. And then we're, all we have is what we did in the past, so there's never any scope for any improvement. And in 10 years' time, when your food costs some ridiculous sum of money, somebody will turn around and say, ah... Better we ought to increase the old yields a bit, try and reduce the cost of food. How do we do that? Ah, bit of agrochemicals. Oh dear, we mm. lost all those ten years ago. Can no, I ask it's not going to happen though, Can really. Can I ask you, Rich? Yeah. Bearing in mind that the UK is a fairly good place to grow food, yeah. would you think it was particularly sad if our yields went right down? And how would you feel about the fact that population's increasing? So if we go your way, won't we? be responsible for loads of people starving. No, not at all. And there, and there, there, is, a, there is a sufficient uh, argument to say, certainly if this country was turned over to organic production, that the quality of food is so much superior to conventionally produced food because of the nutrient and, and mineral content. And, and You have no justification the thing for is, that. I, I never wanted to get into this argument because I don't... <laughs> I don't have but the. It's rich, it's I don't have the. Talk, I don't want to talk th- about. That is. That is. Production. That is what. No, I don't want to talk about talk organic about, production. That's what. But that's what Ed is referring f- to. No, talk about food production. Yeah. And just food. Production. But there is a there is a classic. The, the classic. I wasn't actually talking about organic. I was talking about banning. Well, the classic chemicals. instance is that organic yields are, of course, by volume, less per area than conventional farming yields, mm. but the quality is significantly greater, and that's that, so. When Heather talks about yields then I can use the, that, uh, the organic... Well, I was referring to the fact that if you ban the chemicals, Farmer Phil says the yield will go down. But he's, he's saying he's the yield will saying go down. He's not saying everyone's going to go organic, but, right? Because of no. the one sort of chemical being banned. And what, so what, um, ultimately what I'm saying is why not put the efforts into, into the individual taking account for their own actions and developing their own applications. So why don't you spend your time I think developing your own applications rather than assuming that an, an external organisation is responsible but Rich, for creating... You're, you're a, the, underestimating uh, the technology that you, we've gone a long way past 
I'll put a bit. But of Phil, you contradict yourself there. constantly because don't you go? Don't you refer to some of uh, Heather's uh, colleagues, you know, Nuffield scholars, talking about the fact that you know we should really look at the, the, the way in which we use the groundwater sources. We should really um, look at the way in which we prepare our land, i.e., don't plough and the likes. Isn't it? Isn't it all about getting back to basics? And we missing the It's not the about getting back to basics, Rich. It's about taking. Uh, knowledge that we're gaining all the time Absolutely. and applying it to what we do. All these things are debatable. So, They're so all compromised. We know that putting poisons and toxic chemicals onto our land is impoverishing our environment. Absolutely. Can so we continue we doing that? How can you justify that we continue doing that? Because we, we minimise the so-called toxic poisons that we put on and we're not using many toxic poisons now because we're using pesticides <laughs> which are different. You group them all together as being toxic poisons. Is it Slug like bait saying... is a toxic poison. So how can you, how could you then ensure that the problems associated with the applications of fungicides that you're using now are going to be taken out of the equation to the same extent and in the same time frame as they would be if they're going to be banned? To my knowledge... And continue with and the research. I stand to be corrected, but to my knowledge... There are no problems of any sort at this moment with fungicide applications on arable crops. The current problems that I know about revolve around some of the older weed killers and things like slug bait. Right. I don't know of a single problem with fungicides other than from a practical point of view that as time goes on, the fungus becomes resistant to the chemical and you have to develop a new one. But in terms of environmental impact... I don't know of any. Now, my point is that if that is the case, and I believe it to be the case, that is because they are brand new, nice chemicals. Right. And the problem is that if you go back to down your route to using so-called environmental leachates and so on, they are just different chemicals. And some of them are very blunt instruments because of the reasons that I said that was the analogy with silage. So are you saying it's rather <coughs> like banning drugs would mean that we banned everything, like, uh, you know, having a glass of beer or having a cigarette. Yep. So you're saying it's too big a whop yep. and we need to just ban a few... I think that, the, to, to sum up, my opinion is that we didn't ought to use chemicals that are manifestly damaging to the environment or us. I think that we should be transparent about what we do use and explain it. Research and development with environmental pressures will make it better all the time and the consumer then gets to make the choice. If the consumer wants to buy food that has had no pesticides put on it, fine. And so we have to make the pesticides as good as we can. Well, and I only asked one question, but his nose hasn't grown, so I don't think he's told any porky pies. Let's go for a Monty cast. Let us know what you think. Oh, gosh. Monty cast, a weekly fact on wiggliness. Wiggly Wigglers was started in 1990 by my mum, Heather Gorringe, in a coal shed. Another Montycast, a weekly fact on wiggliness, next week. Thank you, Monty. If you go down to the woods today, we're off with Richard, Phil. Lurking. There's definitely something very magical about this time of night. The sky is red. Let's climb up the hill. I'm watching the flocks of red wings. 
nestled down into the thorn thickets along the hedgerow. And a blackbird is just doing its nighttime ritual of chinking. It's so cold already, it must be well below freezing. There's still the remnants of the snowfall on the ground. Frozen hard, a big heron flying over me off to its roost. You can hear the scramblings in the leaf litter inside the wood. As the blackbirds try and find the last few morsels to get some fuel on board to see them through. It's going to be a really cold night again. I'm going to wander down along the hedge line and go into the wood. Hopefully... There'll be a couple of tawny owls coming out now to hunt in a bit. The remnants of the daylight are drifting away now. A fantastic reflection off the river. Beautiful. I'm so glad I don't have to sleep out here tonight though. Cock pheasant in the distance going up to roost. They tend to roost together. They tend to find that groups of birds, hens and cocks, will find the thickest clump of Hawthorn and get as high up there as possible away from the foxy loxy. They've only got another month to go before the shooting season ends, so they might be the lucky few. The little tiny robin just bobbing about three yards in front of me, round like a ball. Skipping through the leaves. He's just the biggest opportunist. He's hoping that my footprints will just dislodge sufficient leaf litter to find a tasty morsel to fill his crop with for the night. And the ground's like this, though, there's absolutely no way of. Quiet footfall. Fantastic moon as well tonight. There's a poacher's delight tonight. That's where you see the pheasants silhouetted against the moon on a beautiful clear night like tonight. And you can creep up underneath them with a quiet air rifle and pop. Not that I've ever done anything like that, of course. That's incredible. I've just walked down into the dingle and there's a hen bird literally 10 feet away from my left shoulder. And she's looking at me and she obviously can't quite work out whether I'm looking at her or not. So she's stock still. Oh, no, there she goes. Enough daylight to find her, for, for her to find uh, another nice roosting place. You know, when you, uh, when you walk through the woods at night time and uh, you either have a pigeon or a pheasant exploding from its roosting place right by your ear hole. It's quite unnerving. And the fantastic thing about the snow, of course, is the abundance of footprints, animal tracks that you can see everywhere. I know there are rabbits here, I see them all the time. 
when I look at these tracks enough to make me think that hazel and bigwig are hugely abundant fascinating I remember as a child being taken out my old godfather used to show me what all the tracks were you know, the ability to differentiate between a, an otter or a badger or a fox a cat dog footprints you know all those things it's amazing that's incredible I've just seen a woodcock just come flying up over the top of the wood down in front of me and zoom off across the bank I wonder if it was coming to feed in the field I've seen woodcock cut across here several times kind of coincidental I've got the recorder in my hand when I've seen that one it's fantastic Beautiful birds. They're on the game list. I mean, they taste gorgeous. You don't see them much. I don't think they're that species that's in trouble. I think they're doing pretty well. They're quiet though, you know. They just tuck themselves away in the daytime, find a quiet spot in the bottom of a wood somewhere. And then they'll come out to feed at night. They like woodlands with rides and whatnot, so they can probe for inverts. Well, it's essentially a, a kind of inland wading bird, I guess. Pretty big long beaks. I wonder if we'd see that one now. In the springtime, you know, years ago, gamekeepers used to be able to catch them. What um, what happens is the male birds, the cock bird, flies along and makes a funny grunting sound, rooting it's called, most peculiar grunting sound. When you see it for the first time, you think, that's really odd. And the female will hear this cock bird coming over the top of her and sort of leap up in the air, making a little bit of a commotion, and the male will drop down and mate with her. What used to happen years ago is that the keeper or whatnot used to throw a bird up in the air as he saw the cockbird approaching and the cockbird dived down and of course they could net it, catch it. I don't suppose this happens anymore much. I don't see the point really. You know the reason really I came out tonight was to see if I could pick up the owls as they come out of their daytime slumber and just get some a nice sound recording of them when they communicate between one another. They're really conspicuous by their absence tonight. Ain't that always the way? They tend to roost in the same sort of places in the daytime. Thick cover, away from the prying eyes of mobbing songbirds and Scorpions like jays and magpies and the like. But obviously they're going to go where they recognise the potential for a source of food, so some small mammal activity and the like. And I'm wondering whether that's somewhere else. Till next week. It's goodbye from the Wiggly team, sat on the Wiggly sofa. We still haven't got any more reviews. We're oh, supposed to sigh. We need some more reviews, don't we? That's not a sigh, that's a breath. <laughs> You'd uh, think out of all those thousands of listeners that we've got, a few more souls could put some effort into just typing in a few little words to say how much they want to get rid of Phil. <laughs> I think we could do some more comments on food production. I think there is no hotter topic. And food production's what I do, Rich. Yeah. Yeah.
It'd be Absolutely. great if people are fuming and they sort of just emailed in and said that Richard's talking out of his hat or Phil's talking out of his rear. And just give us your views. Of Email. Course, neither of those us. two things ever happened. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Email us and tell us you want to come on the show. Email us and tell us what you think of today's show. Email Richard at wigglywigglers.co.uk or Farmer Phil and his email is pwg at lowerblakemere.co.uk and me i'm heather at wigglywigglers.co.uk and we will talk with you all next week bye bye from me bye bye <laughs>